Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Hey there, Inside the Firm listeners. If you haven't noticed, Alex and I have been kind of MIA with Friday's episode, but we are inserting a special episode today with my good friend and actual client, Josh Allen of DOG. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody that everybody at Inside the Firm has access to a special discount with one of our best sponsors, Dell. So if you go to dell.com forward slash inside the firm to receive your coupon or you call 1-800-757-8442 to speak with a small business tech advisor, be sure to mention you are a listener to Inside the Firm and you'll get a special discount on your brand new PC or hardware that you need to power your firm. So go check them out. Again, that's dell.com forward slash inside the firm. And another shout out to... Arcat, we are nearly three quarters of the way through the longest year ever, but it's not too late to meet your goal of increasing your firm's productivity this year. Arcat has the tools of any size firm needs to compete, whether it's using Arcat's powerful search tool to find product data, downloading high quality specifications, getting right BIM for your model, or using patented spec wizard to configure a specification in minutes. Best of all, it's free and requires no registration. So check out artcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com and start building better content today. Welcome to Inside the Firm. Today, I have a special guest. His name is Josh Allen, and he and his wife, Holly, started the original DOG location in 2008 with a mission to provide high-quality, holistic pet products and top-notch services to pet owners in Bozeman, Montana. Since then, DOG has grown up in the thriving pet industry. Uh, receiving multiple National Pet Industry Awards and successfully transitioning into a franchise model and soon to be opening in Colorado in the spring of 2021. Most recently, DOG was recognized as one of Inc.'s magazine's 5,000 fastest growing private companies in America. And last but certainly not least, Josh and DOG have hired yours truly, F9, to design and possibly build out their first expansion into Colorado. Josh, welcome to Inside the Firm. Uh, thanks, Lance. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we could make time. I know we're both super busy guys, so this was this was a treat, um, and especially to have uh, an actual client. Technically, um, I know you know the franchisees who, who hired us, but we're also working with you to develop your standards. So this is kind of a this is the first time that we've probably had anybody like like you on in that capacity. Um, so maybe you could kick us off with telling us, you know, why and how you launched your original DOG location in Bozeman in in 2008. Yeah, so uh, at that time, I was in healthcare, um, had my own career, I was happy. Um, My wife was a veterinary technician, um, like a lead tech at at a surgery center here in Bozeman. Um, And she just kept coming home and saying, gosh, these clients at the vet clinic are asking me, hey, vet tech, can you help me find a, this natural food or a more holistic remedy or, you know, some, I just kept hearing that, um, her, her make those comments. 
And so I honestly started looking around at franchises, little franchise concepts that she could do. Like I had my career and just wanted to get her something that she could run. And, and we just wasn't impressed with the franchise options at that time in, in the industry. Now there's a few more, including us, but, um, and, and started looking into the pet industry um, for her and, man, this is kind of a legit thing. At that time, it was a $60 billion industry. Now it's way more than that annually in the U.S. Um, it seemed to be resilient in slower economic times, which, you know, this was 2006 when, when I, we were talking about this. And so the, we were in Boomtown then. It was, you know, especially um, in Bozeman where we live, you know, the, the economy was cranking, lots of construction and tech job, tech companies moving to town. And, and then so by the time we got our ducks in the, in a row to like actually open the business, it was 2008. And that was like right on the edge of the cliff of the recession, you know, signed the lease, opened the doors in August and September, down we go. Um, but so that was, that was the original genesis of it. It was just kind of a local need, a local niche that we felt was unfilled in our town. And so we filled it and, you know, luckily we picked an industry that was fairly resilient in even in slower economic times and, and survived that, that initial 2008 kind of crash in the economy. Yeah. What a time to start. I know that's, that's when we started too. It wasn't quite 2008. 2008 was when Alex and I got laid off, but then, you know, we started in 2009 at the end of 2009, 2010, still very tough. Right. And, and yep. architecture and real estate was just at the bottom. So I, I hear you there. What, what, a, what, a, what, what, well, everything's up from there. Uh, for the most part, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't know the, the, the boom, you know, of, 2005, six, seven, you know, we didn't experience any of that. So for us, it was just, that's how things were. And we just had to like dig and claw and scratch and be as, you know, best, as best as we knew how to be to our customers and to our one employee. And, you know, luckily we, we, we made it through and, and now we're, you know, kind of realizing the, the benefits of that early foundation. What separates DOG from um, big box stores? You know, I mean, obviously, like instantly when you start, when you, when you threw out the $60 billion figure, I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's places like PetSmart, um, you, you know, that you, I, and I don't want to put you in that category, but I think you obviously do separate yourself in that way. So um, was that something you guys were obviously cognizant from the, of the beginning? And was it a concerted effort to move in a different direction? Yeah, absolutely. You know, at that time, um, we had, you know, part of also part of the genesis of this, of the story of DOG was we had rescued this little Papillon dog, little sheep, little rescue dog thing. Um, and we still have him today. He's, he's 14. He's, he's still going. Um, but he had some health problems and, you know, so we were going to PetSmart and getting poor customer service and walking up and down the aisles with no help. And, um, you know, so finding him products that helped him like in a holistic way. So the products were one thing. And then we knew, what we didn't want to be in relate related to that box store experience. So we wanted to create a, a more intimate uh, boutique kind of feel with products that were mostly unavailable in those box stores. So that's part of how we differentiate is the stuff that we have on our shelves. You're mostly not able to find in, in PetSmart uh, or not able to find it all in PetSmart, mostly not able to find in Petco. And of course, Amazon's got most of the whole world on, on Amazon right now, but um, so the way we, the way we differentiate from the box stores is the product mix and the customer service and, you know, the product knowledge and, and, um, customer service that our employees, um, represent for DOG is, is, is top notch. Um, and then, uh, the business model 
of the services that we offer. So we have grooming, daycare, and DIY dog wash, coupled with that unique mix of retail products. That's the big differentiator. Um, you know, even nationally now, PetSmart's doubling down on their veterinary clinics that are in most of their stores. Petco's opening up these little grooming boutique things. And so they're moving towards the adding more customized services to their businesses. And we've been doing that since the start. Mm-hmm. So the model and then the products and then the shopping experience is kind of how we, we differentiate from the box stores. Yeah. I don't want to gloss over two, two points I think you made um, that I just want to point out to the audience is that uh, what Josh did was, and this is so critical for anybody that's starting a business, is he, they, he and his wife identified a need. In other words, they literally through their anecdotal experience, but I'm sure that you could multiply that obviously, and it's true because he's, he's running a successful franchise business now, but they identified a need in the industry that needed to be, to be filled. And the second thing they did was then they separated, they figured out what did they hate about the, the, the competitors and, and what they were doing and how could, they, how could they do it better. So then they ended up filling a niche. And I, I think that's the critical thing when I always, we have other business owners like yourself that you know, hire us for, to do their, their stores and their new startups. And those, if you can check those three boxes, I think you're off to the right start. If you, if you can maybe only check one, I think you're, I think you're gambling. Like your, your gamble is, is, is much higher um, from, a, from a rate of return. Uh, tell me about you as an entrepreneur. Did you, have you always been, I mean, I know, I know you had a, I'll call it a nine to five job, but it, cause it wasn't your own business, you know, like you talked about at the beginning of this podcast, but, um, but have you ever always had an entrepreneurial spirit or is, did you grow up in a family of entrepreneurs? And then is your wife kind of following that suit? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, you know, my parents, my mom's a nurse, my dad's, uh, was a heavy equipment operator. You know, I grew up in a really blue collar family. Um, but my grandparents were my grandpa in particular, you know, they lived in a little Montana town, but they, they owned the hardware store and the hotel and the cafe. And I just saw him, you know, you being a, an entrepreneur in, in, in his own way. Um, and he was an immigrant straight from France, just a hardworking. Oh, cool. But, um, but he, he did it. He was making it work. And he also was a really good model for me to leverage his business success for good. Like he started a, a church camp and a youth camp thing that, you know, I grew up going to when I was a kid helping out. Um, and so I saw my grandparents model that for me as a kid. And, um, you know, we've got, hopefully we'll be able to talk about this dog toy brand that I started that we're leveraging that to provide meals for kids. And so we're trying to use our business to make the world a better place, kind of like my grandpa did. Um, and then on my wife's side, her, her parents are, are longtime entrepreneurs there, uh, bought and sold companies over the years. And, and um, Holly, my wife's dad, um, has been kind of a mentor for me, um, kind of getting started being our own, own uh, you know, being our own boss, being the sole proprietor to start with and, and growing a business. He's helped a lot there. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I, we will get into your uh, nonprofit stuff. I, I love it too. I, I'm actually starting a nonprofit myself. And that's one of the best things I like about uh, free market entrepreneurs is, you know, we, we can take ourselves and our employees and our businesses to a level of, um, to where, to where we actually have enough extra capital and we can start doing those extra things voluntarily and, and really affecting the world in positive ways. Uh, so let's, let's go forward in time just a little bit then. Um, based on, based on that and talking about grandpa and, and, and help from, from, from the father-in-law, what, what do you guys think is some of the best and worst lessons you learned 
starting up the first DOG location? Um, I, I always like to ask that question because I think hindsight's twenty twenty. So maybe you can, you know, but if you can give that hindsight to people who are listening, it's certainly helpful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think I, I mentioned that we had, we started with one employee that, that very, you know, it was, a, it was a dog groomer and she's still with the company today. Like, you know, so we've, we've managed to create a culture um, that like Bozeman's a fast growing place. You know, it's like a mini version of Colorado. Um, and it's, you know, McDonald's is hiring 18 bucks an hour and tire shops are, you know, so it's, it's hard to keep employees here. And so we've managed to create a culture that we, that the people stay. And so I, I think the way we've done that is by doing what we said we're going to do. Right. So being a, being a high, high integrity uh, leader um, is definitely like at the top of the list, you know, treat people well and, and do what you say you're going to do. Um, which is sometimes hard to do when you're an entrepreneur and you've got like a bunch of different ideas and you've got a million balls in the air that you're trying to juggle, you know, sometimes you drop them and you kind of, it seems like you didn't do what you said you're going to do. So treating people well and, and being acting with integrity is definitely the, you know, at the top or near the top of the list. Yeah, definitely. That's so important, especially with, and I'm so glad you pointed out the, the micro, the microeconomic conditions in Bozeman. I, um, when, uh, I worked for several summers out in um, uh, east of or west near West Yellowstone in the in the Centennial Valley out there. So I'm very familiar with with Bozeman in, in that area, and and it's it's it is the the, the growth there is 100% incredible. It reminds me of the Boulder Valley, those kind of prices that you're having to compete with against even just fast food places. It's it's sort of the same thing here. So you know, tr- treating people well, especially when this idea that the company man or woman is now gone. I, th- I think it's making entrepreneurs like us with small businesses refocus on, on culture. And to be fair, you know, the, the bigger like tech megaliths like Google, um, Facebook, the way their culture, I think there, I think there is some top down influence that's happening on flexibility. You know, I, I know you probably can't allow people to work from home obviously, but on our side of things, that's kind of one of the things we're seeing as well. Um, for all of your locations, uh, that you've now worked on, you know, you've, you've hired architects and designers and our audience, as, as I told you, is, is primarily architects and the design community, but we do have other business owners. I mean, there's some serial entrepreneurs listening. Um, if you could speak to them right now about what folks like yourself are looking for when you're selecting a designer or a design firm to work with, what would you say you're looking for and what makes you eventually feel compelled to hire one over the other? Yeah, I, I think, you know, being, being a, a business guy and needing the the numbers to make sense, you know, financially, you know, obviously that's near the top of the list. Um, you know, we're, we're advising these franchisees, you know, on the first check they usually write from their little business loan or whatever seed money they put into the company is to the architect, you know, to, to do the initial layout of their TI project for their space. So um, we help them with that. We help them, you know, select the architect and, and help them with the initial um, set of, of plans so they can get their TI project going. Um, and, and so I think price is, is, is important, but it's not the number one thing. Uh, it's more about kind of that fit and feel. Like it's, it's hard to get these days with a bunch of Zoom calls and stuff, but I, I really like to look someone in the eye and, and shake their hand and, you know, um, Purell, your hand first, of course. <laughs> um, you know that, that it's got it's got to have the right like small 
small town yet high quality feel for, to, to work for us. We, you know, those big, big firms that are, you know, multiple cities and across state lines and stuff, it usually just feels a little corporate-y. And so we, we work with our local franchisees to find a local architect that can, that can kind of help them along the way. Um, so it's got to definitely be high quality and, and top notch, but we, we don't like, we like the more boutique um, kind of feel that we have in our stores. And we also like that to be represented in the architecture firm that, that we pick. Yeah, that, that sounds like it all makes sense, obviously. Then it's a, it's a better match. You know, we like to joke that it's when you hire an architect or you're working with a client house, uh, you know, a new, new commercial building, new TI or something. It is like a little marriage for a little bit. So everybody needs to get along, obviously, and, and it has to be fun too. Um, I, I, I kind of demand that it has to be fun because if, you might only do this once in your life. Like you might only do a custom house once in your life. You might only do your, your, your one little business once in your life and, and kind of take it to the end. Tell us about uh, franchising. How, how many franchises, franchises do you have? And then what's your experience been like and some of the lessons you've learned about that that's helping you make better decisions as you further franchise now outward from Montana? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that the experience of taking a little um, mom and pop concept and turning it into a model that other people could use and leverage uh, was like a huge learning experience, right? I'd never done anything like that. And um, you know, most, most people, when they do that, they, they take on some type of outside capital or bring on an investor that can fund it. And, um, we didn't do that. We chose to kind of keep everything in house and learn it ourselves. And like, that's mm -hmm. more my, my style. Um, so I, but I did hire a consultant that helped us through it. Um, you know, through my connections, found a couple, um, that we interviewed, you know, most of them were six figures plus to even, even help you get all of your, uh, disclosure documents and, and legal stuff and FTC compliance and all that in order. Um, I ended up hiring a, a consultant, kind of a smaller guy, smaller shop, kind of same feel, um, in Buffalo, New York. And so he flew out to Montana and we, we worked it out. And so he helped us through that first year of kind of getting everything going. Um, unique for us was that we only had two locations at the time in one town. So my wife and I knew that we needed, we had this, successful model that we wanted to expand but you know we had we were a young family had young kids you know we still do and so i didn't want to be you know montana's pretty spread out it's two or three hours between markets that could actually hold a, a, a business like this so i just didn't want to fund all of them for one thing be, be financially responsible for this expansion and then ultimately didn't want to have to be driving all, all around everywhere. So we chose to go the franchise model, maybe a little early because we only had the two stores in, in one market, but um, it worked. So now we've got five in Montana um, and we sold, actually sold our, our two corporate flagship stores um, in Bozeman to a local couple. And so we don't actually own any of the stores anymore. We're strictly focused on supporting them and kind of, slowly or appropriately growing the brand. And so we're real excited to, to have our brand in Colorado now. And that's our first outside of Montana expansion. And, um, you know, the franchising process was, um, you know, it's not running a retail dog boutique. It's like, now you're like an education company, basically uh, sales and education company. And so it was a big transition, but we're happy with it. And we're really enjoying the, the um, empowering others, you know, helping them run their business versus us being in the grind day to day. Um, so it's been a great transition. It, it was really hard and it's still really hard, but um, I, I like the, the strategy and, and the um, business thinking versus the day-to-day -day grind. 
Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. It's like playing a bigger pink game of game of chess. I'm with you there. Um, we've been considering franchising at, at, at Venstig at some point. How much? You know, not an exact dollar figure, but if you're if you're if you're in a position like you were in, where you know the six figure uh, consultant is just out of the out of the realm of things. What what does a smaller shop like that cost? You know, a, a consultant. Um, you know, are you looking at ten, twenty thousand, something, something in that range? No, it was fifty or sixty just for the consultant, um, probably, and and that was you know years years ago, probably two thousand fifteen or sixteen that I was working on that. So I, I would assume everything's more expensive now. I don't know because I haven't, you know, I don't use those consultants anymore. But um, gen generally, it, it's it's not just a you know, I'm going to invest in another $20,000 piece of equipment in my business to make it better. It's a, it's a significant jump. Yeah, definitely. How did you find that person? I mean, was it just Google or were you talking with other, you know, business owners? No, it was, it was, um, no, it was, um, through a, uh, a leadership conference that I, that I attend that I help with, um, not related to pets, not, not related to franchising at all. It was just like a business development deal that, you know, one of the guys I knew, knew of this other franchise that was in the franchise world. Um, so it was kind of an organic, um, organic connection, I guess. Is that one of the dogs? Yeah, it is. Sorry. Yeah. That's, a... <laughs> Sorry that's all right. I'm just going to give the listeners some context. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Uh, well, very cool. I mean, that, that's some insight I was hoping to peel, uh, pull out of you today about franchising. Yeah. I know it's, uh, I mean, there's just not a lot of people on the planet that have done it. If you look at it from a percentage, um, so I, I appreciate you giving us, you know, that kind of detail. And what yeah. About I mean, that. you definitely could just do the traditional Google search and, you know, cold call some folks, but I don't usually operate that way. I like, like the personal connection and kind of the more organic grassroots stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's exactly the way it sounds like your whole business has been built, which I, I really love that. Um, did you have, did you guys come up with a formal business plan too when you started or was, or was it, was it really organic? Cause you know, our firm, we did not, we just went for it. Yeah. We self self funded it at the beginning. I mean, not us. We talked to some family members and scraped together some little bit of cash to do the build out and, and, and I had an architect buddy that just did the plans for us for free, you know, and initially. Um, and so when we approached our family members, we had a, like a little slideshow kind of concept, but I, I mean, I didn't know how to project to develop a P&L and make some projections. And I've learned all that stuff now. But yeah. Back then, it was, it was pretty like bootstrap land, you know. Um, but now, one of the services we provide for our franchisees is a, you know, kind of uh, script for their business plan. So they can take that and build it out for their market and then go approach their local banks for, for a loan. Um, so we do provide that now, but I had no idea to do it, how to do it back then. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like I said, I, I actually think some of the best businesses start that way where it's just you like the, it's, it tackles the three things that we talked about earlier and you're off to the races and, and you can, you can pull it together. You know, I, I think the odds are going to be in your favor for sure. Yeah. Um, what, what is your ultimate goal for DOG? And then how do you guys plan to get there now that you've, you're moving into other States. And by the way, I, I think you're making, you could not have picked a better state than Colorado. And obviously I'm biased, but the dog culture here is so vibrant. And maybe that's one of the things you looked at. I mean, everybody's got a dog, if not two or three. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree that, um, you know, our our franchisees there in Longmont, um, that they found us. We, You know, we're not really marketing that much. And they're originally from Montana, so it really felt mm -hmm. great. Um, 
and we, you know, we had our eye on, on the Colorado market for, for, as a possible first expansion out, out of Montana. And so it was exciting. I mean, it just was a great circumstance that, that they approached us. Um, you know, it's, it's somewhat saturated in, in parts of, you know, Denver Metro, parts of Colorado for little boutique dog stores like ours. But our model with the services in the retail is different than the most of those other little boutique stores that are mostly just retail goods and maybe some grooming. Um, and then in, in Longmont specifically, there's not really anything there. So it's, it was a really great fit for us. And um, a bigger picture, you know, what, what, uh, where, where we want DOG to go, you know, we're obviously we're really bullish on, on what we have going on. We think that it's, it's a really strong uh, model for, a lot of different places, but we also like, like I said before, we're not going to get the cart before the horse and try to expand really big, really fast. It's still just my wife and I, you know, supporting these stores. And so we, we need to like start to build our team so we can appropriately support more and more and more. Um, so we're just going to grow slowly and, and maybe add a store or two per year. And, and I, I like that model of growth versus the pressure and the stress of taking on outside capital and reporting to other people and, and, yeah, it's just um, so we're just going to grow slow and steady, and um, you know I don't know what what it looks like five or ten years down the road for for DOG, but hopefully we're we're still here and we're kind of have a robust regional presence, and and then we'll go from there. Beautiful, yeah. Uh, switching back, switching things up a bit, and we already kind of alluded to getting to this. Um, tell us about your nonprofit work with, and is it just W O? Is that how I should? Yeah. So we say it WO. Um, WO. Okay. Short little acronym uh, stands for widow and orphan. Um, so I, you know, just quick backstory. I um, found myself in Ethiopia, 2014 or so, on, on a like a service trip, right, for a church, like a mission trip, and and. Um, you know, you go to one of those developing countries and you just get your world rocked. I mean, it's like, there's, there's so much need. And so came back from that and was like, man, how do we, how do we leverage this like dog store business that we have to like help, help these kids around the world that need, just need a warm meal or just, you know, need a place to sleep. Um, and so we, we decided to do something separate from DOG, but in the same industry, we had all the connections, um, I knew manufacturers, I knew retailers, I knew distributors. And so we decided to start a dog toy brand where we'd make the toys, we'd sell the toys. And then from each toy sold, we could carve off enough margin to donate two meals to widows or orphaned kids. So that's where the woke comes from. Um, so we did that um, crowdfund campaign, you know, started with one product. I knew that if, you know, if it failed, I could at least sell them in my stores and, and then we'd be done. But um, it didn't fail and it's still going. And, and so now we've got, I started with the one product. Now we've got um, 20 different SKUs of dog toys and, and we make them in Montana and in Washington State. Um, the, the like plush toys with the squeaker inside are sewn in Washington State. And then the durable like injection mold toys are made about 20 minutes from my house in a factory here. Um, so now we're selling them through distribution. We've, they're, they're in a few hundred stores across the country and, um, we've just crossed the hundred thousand meals donated, um, benchmark, I guess, um, earlier this year. So we're, we're directly making the world a better place through, you know, leveraging people's passion for their pets. It's, it's really fun. Um, and, and it's all of you made, which is kind of hard to find sometimes. So we're supporting local jobs. Montana and in, in the Seattle area and then funding meals um, in Ethiopia. And then now we've recently partnered with Feeding America, which is the uh, network of U.S. food banks. So we're able to help here at home and, and in Africa both. 
That is phenomenal. What a beautiful story. Uh, I'm so glad you took that leap and, and decided to go in that direction. Um, just as the fellow volunteerist, I, I just love, that, love stuff like that. Um, yeah, we kind of follow the Tom's Shoes model. So it's actually a for-profit company. Right. Not that I'm paying myself anything from that company, but we're leveraging the, the, that business model to, to provide meals. And you know, maybe someday it'll pay me a little small paycheck or something. But for now, it's just a, a way to you know, give back and, and leverage our, our industry to, to help others. Yeah. Uh, very cool. There's, there's one last question that I always like to ask everybody as we, as we, who's a guest on the show as, as we wrap things up. And that is, uh, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time when you first started DOG, um, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself as you start out? Yeah, I, I think in a, in a strictly business sense, it's, um, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you're starting things up and it's kind of chaos land at the beginning and you're just hitting balls as they're coming across the plate and not really thinking ahead too much. But one area that I wish was tighter when we started was I wish I would have had a really good CPA partner hmm. to take my books and make sure, you know, like fixing that stuff a few years in was challenging because I just, I didn't know any better. Um, so even, even as someone that's maybe considering starting a new business or a new firm or, or whatever, you know, an initial first key partner is, is a good, is a good CPA or a good business accountant of some kind, which I didn't have. So that, that's something that, that I wish I would have done, um, back then that would have made things easier a few years down the road once it started to kind of take off. I would hundred percent echo that I, we did, we made the same mistake. And then three years later, after we were finally profitable enough to the point where we, we had, and we had steady income, we, we both bought houses and that was in order to buy the house, both yeah. of us, it was like, your books are a mess. And we're like, well, mm -hmm. okay. So we should, so don't be afraid. Uh, Josh is right. I'm right. Um, they're, they're, especially if it's just a bookkeeper and they're not a licensed CPA, that even goes a long way. Just if yeah. you have somebody taking a look at your quick QuickBooks or FreshBooks or whatever software, or even if it's just a spreadsheet, you're keeping track of uh, your P&L. Um, that's good to go. Josh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, so glad you came on the show today. Um, where can people find you and follow you and, you know, both for both of your work, uh, DOG and then, um, yeah. Yeah, so DOGs, it's all spelled out. It's a funny name. So it's D E E hyphen O hyphen G E E dot com. Um, and once it's hard to get the first time, but once you get it, it kind of sticks in your brain. So it's um, so DOG.com, all spelled out, four E's, two hyphens. And then Woe is the dog toy brand. Uh, the URL there is supportwoe.com. So the word support and then the letter W and the letter O dot com. Um, and then there's social media stuff that you can find on both of those places. Um, so those are the, those are the two, uh, dog.com and supportwo.com. Beautiful. Awesome, Josh. Thanks for being on the show. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, Lance.